so the parable of the Good Samaritan was a radical story in, in the day. 22, 23, 24 years ago, I was in Israel for five weeks and one, uh, one morning we went down uh, the Jericho Road to a place called the, the, the Headwater. It's a spring at, uh, in the Wadi Kelt, which is uh, a, a valley that goes round, that travels down next to the uh, Jericho Road. And we spent probably six or eight hours walking down this um, valley following an aqueduct that Herod built down to his summer palace, which is at the foot of that, uh, that, that road. In temperatures went up to I think 120 degrees and there's a, a, a river this aqueduct that brings the spring water down to Jericho and then at, towards the end of it you, have, you just turn the corner and there's this big old monastery from the 4th century called St. George's Monastery sort of hanging out of a cliff uh, it's a remarkable place but uh, the thing that you appreciate is that it's a wild place and it, until actually very recently in the 1930s or 40s that road was still regarded as dangerous because Thieves and robbers could come in and, and, and stop you on the way down to Jericho. And the road to Jericho leads down from Jerusalem and beyond Jericho you could go to Galilee or you can go down to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea one of the lowest places in the world. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is further up north to, uh, and it's a beautiful clear lake. The Sea of Galilee is, is uh, full of salt and is, no life can live there. The only thing that can happen is you can go and float. The reason, that the reason that it's called the Dead Sea is because it's dead. The reason it's dead is that it has no outlet. It's a, it's a very good metaphor for what life becomes if all you do is receive but never give. It's a, not a good me- metaphor for Christians. You can be so salty that nothing lives. If you're just acquiring for yourself and you give nothing away, there is no life in you. And so you have this dead sea, the Dead Sea and the Jericho Road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus walked that road a number of occasions, but when he went up to Jerusalem, he's going up to Jerusalem. What for? Jerusalem represent? It's the cross, it's the resurrection, it's life, it's the kingdom of God, it's God's city, the new Jerusalem. And so part of the reason we have the name Jericho Road is because it's about a journey that we're on and we decide and we want to have a journey that's going to Jerusalem. And I'm just going to go through a number of thoughts that I, I, I kind of do a variation on this talk every annual general meeting. Um, but what starts off is this parable of the Good Samaritan where this man who, uh, people often misquote the scripture by the way, um, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, What is it written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbors yourself. And so that that rule is often taken and said, well, what is God's commandment? He says, love one another as you love yourself. And that's the law. Jesus came, love one another as I have loved you. His love and his law is actually greater than this. But it's often misquoted. So this, this, this man who's the legalist, he's the, he's, the, he's the lawyer, as it were, he's asking Jesus a question because he's really coming from a paradigm that says, what do I have to do to be acceptable to God? 
And if you can give me a law and you can give me some rules and then I know that I can keep them, then I know that I can stay on the right side of God because I'm fixated on laws. And that's often the case again with our own mindsets in terms of uh, God and Jesus is, is keeping laws. If you're reading the uh, draft for the uh, annual general meeting, could you put it away because I find it very distracting. Um, the law is about what you have to do and Jesus answered, and what did he answer with? He answered with a story. And his story was about a man who was beaten up going along this Jericho road. And he said the story because the man who, who was asking the legal sa- question when he had said, love the Lord your God, you know, and love your neighbors yourself, Jesus said, you've answered correctly, now go and do it. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus again, he said, who's my neighbor? Because the legal mind and the religious mind is always looking for what do I have to do? What is enough? And then I can have the rest of my life. Does anybody have that battle here? God can have this part, but then I want this part. I went to church on Sunday, I'm not doing any more. If you, if you have that mindset, uh, you will never, ever come to life. It will just be a drudgery because you're caught into a legalism that isn't of God. It's a religious spirit. And it means that we have misunderstood the purpose of Jesus. That's like dating somebody and falling in love with them and then saying, well, I'll see you once a week. It's, it's, the diff- it's about learning. So the, the great prayer is Jesus. I've n- this is the prayer I've always prayed from a very young age, believe it or not, which is, Lord, there must be more and I want it. And I pursued it. I pursued it in full-time ministry, which was very disillusioning. I pursued it and it's why I've gone to conferences all my life. I've gone to places where people are doing things and I've said, here I am. And I've faced my fears and I've faced the fears of, oh, I'm gonna, it's going to be emotional or it's, oh, it's, it's out of my comfort zone. I've done it for 40 years. I've pursued it because I want, I can't, if I, I know this much, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't die for what I have yet. I'd say there's got to be more. And so I, I went to, a, I went to a, a church school. I sang in a choir. I was a choir soloist. I sang all the classical music. And I had a sense of God, but I didn't know Jesus. And it was as I began to go to a youth group and come to a revelation of Jesus in friendship and the fact that he loved me, and it was a, it's a process over time, it began to captivate my heart. And I began to say, there's got to be more, there's got to be more. And I was spent my whole life saying, but, but John, the little rebel who likes girls, wants to go and play. Because he was looking for love in all the wrong places. It was fun, but it wasn't fulfilling. And so it was, all I'm saying is that it's a tug of war and it's learning how to eventually go, Lord, you know best. I understand why you're saying no. Or I understand why you're saying yes. I, I haven't got time to go into the whole journey other than that everything is a journey. And what Jesus was saying to the law, the law, the lawyer, let's call him that, was you do this and live. And then he goes, well, what, who's my neighbor and he's wanting him to say, well, they're Jews and they're these people and they're these people. And he goes, well, I do that. And Jesus said, you're, you're misunderstanding, you have misunderstood the nature of the kingdom and the nature of what God is doing. He is not defining people like we define people. 
He is not defining the good, the bad, and the ugly like we do. And so he starts telling the story about this man who walked down and he got beaten up and robbed. So if he was telling it in our culture, I mean, he might say there was a guy who uh, fought for ISIS and he was beaten up on the side of the road and people walked past. The religious leaders walked past because they were keeping the law and if they touched an unclean person or a dead body or somebody who was sick, then they would be unclean. They couldn't go to the temple and do their duty because their duty was more important than the person lying on the side of the road. And one of the things you have in Christianity all the time is this nickel and diming over things, why we can't do things because we don't agree with each other, which comes from hell. It doesn't come from heaven. Much of what we believe about the church and about Christianity is rooted in human thinking about how we would do things if we were God. That's why it gets stuck in bureaucracy and and very unimaginative rule-making. And so Jesus said to this man, he said, uh, let me tell you a story. And he told the story about this man being beaten up and he took the Samaritan because he was not politically correct. Because you don't talk to Samaritans. Samaritans are garbage. And so of course he uses that person to say he's the one who stopped. And he broke through their paradigms and offended them no doubt. And then when he had finished his story after the Samaritan had knelt down and he poured oil and water over the man's wounds, he'd put him on his donkey, taken him to a hostel and he said, I'll pay for it. And then he said to the man of the law, he said, so who's your neighbor? Who was the neighbor? And the, the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. I think he's so disgusted with it. So he goes, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, well, go and do likewise. So who's your neighbor? Anyone. God the Father so loved that he came into this world for the lost, which is everyone. Everyone here was lost and is either in the process of being found or is found. One of the hallmarks of Jericho Road is we're not a salvation-only church. I detest that, quite honestly. I'm just being provocative. Which means it's useless if you're just saved. You actually have to be saved and released into something. It's immature just to be saved. If you really understand what God has done, then you say, Lord, here's my life. I want you to use it for the rest of my life. But the legal spirit in us very often says, well, I've been saved and if I give him this much and he only wants this much money and I just do this, then I can get on with the rest of my life because that's really where I live. And you know, God understands that so you can say, Lord, help me. Help me to receive your love so that I can live in your love so that I don't, I don't separate my life out. Jesus, I'm going to talk about this next week. Jesus came to give life. He didn't come to kill your, 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 you know, kill your spirit. He didn't come to make your life miserable. You do that quite well on your own. And very often, uh, one of the things I ask people is, to, so who is the Jesus that you're nickel and diming with? Or who is the Jesus that you're not believing in? Or who is the Jesus that you're hedging your bets with? And every time, it's not the Jesus that we're talking about. It's our warped perspective of a religious Jesus that we've got messages of through dysfunctional teaching. Jesus is loving, he's kind, he's good, he's powerful. And we've been led to believe that knowing about Jesus and giving the right words and getting baptized means I become something. And you go, no, you're born into something, but you haven't become it yet. Becoming it is part of what we do day by day. 
It's called taking hold of our inheritance and our identity. I wasn't meaning to sort of say all of that like that, but let me just give you the letters of Jericho Road. I'm not going uh, to speed this up. Um, so the, 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 the J of Jericho is the journey with Jesus. I've been talking about that now for the last 10 minutes. Jesus is at the center of everything. I, I, I love talking about Jesus, naming Jesus' name. I don't like talking just about God. God seems to me very impersonal. It's like the job description. And Jesus is like the personal face of God. So if God took all the trouble to bring, send his son into the world that we might know him as a loving father, then I think it's worthwhile talking about Jesus. Because he's good and kind and he reflects the father. And the father says that he lives from the father into the world. And so he says, this is what the father is like. If you see me, you see the father. So we could sing the song I wrote years ago from my kids, What's God Like? But it's God is kind and good. And there's an incredibly important... Somebody said, uh, what you think about God is the most important thing you'll ever think. Because what you think about God determines everything about how you live and how you follow him or don't follow him. And the thing is, we want to get away from beating each other up for what we don't yet know. But we want to be those who declare something that whets the appetite of people who don't yet know and say, I never realized. I never realized. I never realized it could be like that. Or it was like this. I always thought this. So we want to foster at Jericho Road a, a, a curious questioning attitude where instead of just having opinions rooted in the past, the Jericho Road that re- leads to Jerusalem, not the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has nothing. So we intentionally move to Jerusalem. We intentionally say for the glory set before us, we move to Jerusalem, which is what Jesus did with the cross. And we go, I totally, I mean, can you, come to, can you come to a place of being able to be comfortable saying, I don't know everything? I mean, can you actually make peace with yourself and say, I don't know everything? In fact, I hardly know anything. And most of the stuff that I always talk about is negative. And then you just say, so there's lots to learn. And I want to close the gap between what I read about Jesus and what I know about Jesus. And that's why we're here. We need one another to grow in the confidence of knowing that he loves you, he lives in you, and he can do wonderful things through you. That's a sort of cliche, but it's true. God's not fussy. He just needs a pair of hands. You'll do. Really, you will do. The church has done a great disservice by having priests and people in robes and everything, you know, and I am the mighty. It's all taken from the Roman culture. It's actually a wrong model. If God so loved the world, he sent his son, and he, he traveled almost incognito. I mean, he was somewhat of a celebrity because of what he did, but he didn't have lots of trappings around him. Prosperity gospel said, well, when he was crucified, he had a seamless robe. They're very expensive, so Jesus didn't mind good things. <laughs> you can proof text everything. But God wants us to know that he is good news, that he, we are created to be filled with his spirit, so we come alive. And what we, you see, in this world, generally speaking, we come alive if our circumstances are right, if we have enough money and there's no hassles, which means three times, you know, probably most of our lives we're not alive because there are always hassles, there are never perfect circumstances, and people are always a pain. So if our happiness rests upon those things, we will probably be miserable. 
or we'll be disillusioned and we'll say things like, well, if God really loves me, why does this happen? Instead of saying, I'm so thankful that God really loves me because in the midst of this, I have a resource that I didn't have. And so he's helping me to have a strength that I didn't have before. And he's giving me a hope that looks ridiculous in the circumstance, but I'm believing for something bigger than where I am now. And he's not only given me that, he's given me brothers and sisters who I can journey with, and sometimes they'll actually even help me. So I'm not alone. Of course, half of us go, well, I don't need to be part of a church because I'm just me and Jesus. Well, if it's you and Jesus, you're not talking to Jesus because as soon as you talk to Jesus, he'll say, get back. I don't have sheep wandering around. The sheep that were wandering around, you remember what happened? I went to look for them. And I put them on my shoulder. I called them lost and I brought them back. Oh, but Jesus, I'm just, you know, I'm serving you. He said, I don't care what you're doing. You're lost. You need to be part of a community. Why, God? Because look at you. You're incomplete. And you bleat and bleat. You need other people to fulfill and round you out. It's called character growth and interdependence. So you're lucky today because what I'm doing, I think what's happening is I'm just bleeding everything into this kind of talk and then I'm just giving you the headings afterwards. So, you know, Jesus, Jesus is everything. And so I'm just saying that at, at Jericho Road, Jesus is the one we follow, Jesus is the one we serve, Jesus is the one we worship, and Jesus is the reason for everything. Can't, not the reason for the season, that's awful. But Jesus is the name above all names that we will declare. The E of Jericho stands for empowered and embedded and experienced and encounter. There's so many things it could stand for. But it's basically about encounter, which means... The Jesus we name, we want to know relationally. I want to know his love for me, my beloved son, John. I want to know that. So I've often stood up here and said, I'm, I'm his favorite. He, he, li- he, he likes me more than you, you know, which is lies. But it's and if you want to do something that's fun in your own privacy of your own room, do that. Jesus loves me. He loves me more than John. He loves me more than any other friend I know. He loves me. I'm his favorite. When I walk in the room, he lights up and says, oh, look who's come. Speak it out loud over yourself and see what happens to your spirit. Seriously, I'm being very serious. See, most of the time we have stuff in our heads. I like Jesus, the concept. He died on the cross. I said, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven on earth. And we know know all the creedal statements. And then he says, so how's, how's love doing? Oh, well, I feel miserable. Which we all do, and we have to learn how to speak up, speak to our spirits, call them up to the truth. Spirit speaks to the body. The body is the problem. The body is the one who gets tired, that depressed, wants food, wants sport, wants sex, wants everything. You know, just feed me, feed me. I've got a cat like that. Actually, Cheryl and I, this cat, <laughs> this cat is close to dying because this cat has become obsessed with food. And every time he sees it, he purrs, but he just goes and sits next to the cat dish. And then he vomits it up because he eats it all and he's scared he's not going to get enough. And then it's disgusting. I think there's a demonic thing in this cat. And, but the, but it's, it's just this gratifying of me, gratifying of me, gratifying of me. So I want to kick it outside and say, go away. I loved you once. But we're committed for life, so we can't do that. So... But our body is the problem. Our body is the one that always craves everything. And if we live, the world without Jesus lives from the body. 
That's why all of the material that is, is, is put into Hollywood, if you're going to watch the Oscars tonight, it's all, about, it's, it's all about the superficial, mostly. Because that's all there is without Jesus. I'm not saying everything is bad. I'm not saying everything is not... Cre- you know, there's some lovely things and wonderful things and powerful things that comes from movies. I love movies. But the depth of life is found in Jesus and in the Spirit. And the Spirit is what actually brings life. The Spirit is the thing that bears witness and says to the body, no. The Spirit says this is not the way to walk in. The Spirit says this feels like truth. And those disciples followed Jesus and Jesus began to teach them and he began to say to them, you know, my body is like bread and, and, and my blood like wine. And, you're gonna, and they, they didn't understand what he was talking about at that point. And half of them left because that made no sense. And he said to his disciples who were left, he said, are you going to leave me too because you don't understand what I'm talking about? And Peter says, what does he say? There's nowhere else to go. Somewhere in your heart and my heart, we have to come to that place where we go, Jesus, there's nowhere else to go. Even though I'm frustrated, even though I know too much to sin well and I know too little to, you know, I can't get away with it, so I'm stuck. And then there's this place of, Jesus, will you create in me a heart that is so enamored with you, in love with you, that actually it's what I want to do because in you I do find life. In my best days, in my best moments, Jesus, you bring me to life like nothing else does. I've never met anyone like you who knows me through and through and yet still says I love you. And when I behave like that cat, I sit next to whatever my little watering hole is and go, I want more, I want more. You don't boot me out the door. You kind of go, come here. (laughs) You don't have to do that. It's calling up your real self is what we're talking about. At Jericho Road, we want to have encounters with Jesus that make people come alive. Because encounters with Jesus, we do not want to be a church that beats people up and says, you've got to keep this rule. This place is full of people who've got all kinds of issues. Sometimes they all say, well, you know, John's got issues. He's leading out of his woundedness. I hear that all the time. I get so sick of it. They're like, oh, really? I'm the only one here. (laughs) I get so tired of the murmurings that mutter about my past. Or we know what you did. I go, yeah, I know what you did too. And I don't know all of it. I'm free. I'm forgiven and I'm free. I've got got nothing. I'm glad you're so happy about that. So am I, actually. I'm quite relieved. But I am a testimony, as all of us are, to Jesus' grace. I'm a testimony, as you are, to his goodness and his kindness. So I talk about my brokenness, not to get stuck in that, because I agree with everybody. I'm bored with that. I'm sick of that. But to actually say, but God. And so if he can love me, guess he can love you too. And I guess I don't have to spend the rest of my life walking backwards, looking at the Dead Sea, saying, this is what I did, this is what I've become. That no, he set me free. He rescued me. And actually, if the truth were known, even in my darkest time, that darkest time, part of the reason for that was because I was trying to battle with him and trying to follow him and got taken out. I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can look at it. So I'm actually a, a very seasoned warrior that was in, in, in prison for years and then got set free. You know, th- we all have our stories, but we don't want to live in the story of the negative. We want to live in the story of being redeemed. Encountering Jesus begins to set us free to become all that was stolen from us or, or whatever. We're not a church that therefore says, look, 
you seen the new banner outside? We got it from England. Don't you think it's cool? It's 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a basically our, our statements of of what we're about as a church, which is becoming family, encountering God, and impacting the world. And becoming family is at the top because we say everybody's welcome to be here. Now I could say, well, you can't come here unless you stop sleeping with your partner. It's not consistent with Jesus' teaching. You can't come here unless you sorted out issues of sexuality. You can't come here unless you, you, you know, you've never been divorced. You can't come here because of you embezzled money. You we could have all those rules. I guess I'd probably be talking to myself, but I don't think I would be here either, quite honestly. You can have all those rules, but the trouble with the rules is then you actually give the wrong message, which is part of what the church has done all the time, which is saying, unless you smarten up, you can't come to God. God says, I sent my son to help you smarten up. In fact, you couldn't smarten up without me because I got the soap. So you have filthy rags and you can't come to me. You can't please me. And please stop doing these cartwheels on Sundays to try and impress me because it doesn't. I have come to right where you are and I have died on a cross so that you can be made clean and then we can have a great time together. So becoming family is about coming in the door and finding out that God loves you and then encountering him. Encountering God means understanding God is for you, not against you. He loves you passionately. And when you encounter God, you start beginning. One of the hallmarks of God's Spirit working in you is you start saying, when the light starts shining on your life, you start saying, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm feeling uncomfortable with this. And that's just God's Spirit beginning to stir in you, saying, I want you to teach you a new way of living so that you respect yourself and you respect others. I mean, God doesn't have this big anal problem with sex, for instance. He just goes, it's best kept in this relationship. But in our culture right now, there's huge pressure. I mean, we have, every, you know, it's transgender and it's lesbian and it's homosexual. And, it's, and then every time you stand up and say anything, you, you, you're phobic about it. I'm not phobic about it at all. But if you were dealing, if you were a lesbian or homo, uh, male homosexual and you were in this church, you'd be welcome. It wouldn't be about, oh, get out of here because, because <laughs> your struggle is just a variation on somebody else's struggle. You're welcome. And we'll learn together how Jesus is Lord. And when we tell our stories to one another, there are places we can go, and I could go, where, and I could go with some of you, where you go, there were times where something wrong felt really authentic. There but for the grace of God. Whether it's an abortion, whether it's whatever it is. We want to be a people where the compassion of Jesus begins to reach out and they, they, they're no longer defined by what they've done, but they're defined by something deeper. Maybe this is a good time to... Let me just play the video that I... Uh, it's come up a few... You've seen it before, but I just wanted to play it again. It's from Blood Diamond. That's a picture of the Father's love. And that's a picture of what we're meant to be as a church. Everybody comes in carrying a gun, representing something. And what Jesus came to do was to say, I want you to remind and I want you to bear witness. You can't do this unless you know it yourself. I want you to call up in the people who are still carrying guns, defending themselves. I want you to call up what they were meant to be. But it's going to need courage because you're going to have to face their gun. You're going to face the thing that they trust in. You're going to have to face them and start calling in a loving way, reminding them of something they've lost touch with. 
Pastor Kavindra, a, a, a bishop in Uganda, he, he was martyred actually, said salty Christians make other people thirsty. Salty Christians make other people thirsty. The world is absolutely thirsty for authentic people. Incredibly authentic, for, uh, hungry for authentic people. That's why you tell your story. That's why you don't just beat people over the head with a Bible. You actually share your story. For God's sake, don't give me another Bible verse. Show me your heart and tell me how you got there and I will follow and then the Bible verse I'm interested in. Which is what God did with Jesus. He met people, he healed them, they followed him and he began to teach them. That's how it works. We've got to turn the wrong way around. I'm going to teach you until eventually you're so full of knowledge but you have no experience and so you don't find it very captivating. So at Jericho Road, we want people who talk about Jesus. We want to be people who encounter him. Do you know what it's like to have the Father love you and say, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're going to come home with me. You're not dying. You're going to come home with me on earth as in heaven. And you're going to turn around and you're going to actually speak and share my love through you because you've received it into this world that is so broken. And you're going to actually just do what I've done to you. And that'll keep you coming alive. And that'll keep you flowing like the Sea of Galilee, not the Dead Sea. See, some people taste our lives and they're so salty they make them sick. Because they've got lots of biblical theory but no life. But Jericho Road wants to be a place where life is released through relationship and people are restored through an encounter with the love of the Father. So the church community is one of the messiest places on earth. One of the messiest places on earth. Because we disappoint each other and we get angry with each other. I'm so proud of two guys who came and spoke to me this weekend because they were struggling with issues with me. And both of them said, I'm committed to this place. I just want to deal with this stuff. I won't embarrass them, but I'm proud of them because they had the guts to, to talk to me and I could apologize for some stuff and we could work it out. But the reason it was relatively easy to work out is because I'm committed to this. As opposed to walking in a fence. I'm not going because you said this. Which is the way of the world. It's easy to do that. You don't need a brain. You don't need a heart. You just need an attitude. And you can justify yourself and you, you know what you become, of course. You become more and more miserable, more and more bitter and more and more angry and more and more critical. It's really attractive. Or you can go, you know, I received grace. I can give grace. I can work this out. I don't expect people to mind read and know what I'm thinking. I'm going to talk to them because I'm committed to being a, an expression of the love of Jesus. Because he disarmed me the eye of Jericho is involvement and identity. And that identity I've been talking about, the identity of a son and a daughter who have been lost and found, it costs something. When your identity is found, Jesus calls you into something. Culture is the sea. I ha I've run out of time. Culture is the sea. The culture of faith, supernatural experiences, is supernatural encounters. I mean, I'll just say here, we, I think you're going to see this culture growing and diversifying. We've got Michael and Heather here who are totally different from me. You've got Stephen who's arrived on the scene and he's just a freak on the other side, man. <laughs> so you kind of got these very different expressions and, and you're going to go, oh, well, I hope, 
I just encourage you to say, Lord, what are you saying to us about diversity? Some of you want to walk out when I'm talking. Some of you want to walk out when Stephen's talking. Nobody walks out with Michael, but I mean, you know, that's cool. (laughs) I just want to say to you, don't walk out because your favorite isn't speaking. Ask God to start saying, Lord, why am I responding? And I'm not justifying all our incompleteness, all right? I'm just saying we're all on a journey. So let's help one another to grow in the diversity in what God's wanting to do. That's how you grow. Staying away and reacting is not growth. It's actually immaturity. And then whenever you have a problem with somebody, just go and look in the mirror and talk to God about you. And he says, yeah, you've had an attitude. I mean, there have been lots of times in your life I didn't want to have anything to do with you. Just talk to the mirror with Jesus and you'll probably shut up about everybody else. Just a way of being humble. The Holy Spirit is the H of Jericho. We can't do anything without His power and His presence. And that's an ongoing journey that we're all learning about walking in. And the Jericho, the O of Jericho is an open heaven, which means God has released everything we need to follow Him, to know Him, to be everything He wants us to be. He's given us the resources. What He's teaching us is, will you please stop asking me for what I've already given to you? Because what we're often doing in all our prayer times and all our stuff is we're asking him to do what we're not prepared to do. Lord, will you bring, make a great awakening in Jericho, in, in, in Alberni Valley? Yeah, well, why don't you guys get on with each other and then go out and share it? Most of the time, God will release in us and through us what he's worked out in us and through us. So, that's what we are. That's enough for today. Lots more talking to do later. I, I think it's actually quite a cool vision. A place of encounter, a place of Jesus, a place of relationship, a place of a, a culture that values something about the, the living faith and making it real. A place where the Holy Spirit is welcome. And the Holy Spirit can be terrifying, but you just deal with your fears and go, I'm terrified nevertheless. Without Him, I'm nothing. So ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Don't get super spiritual. That's a real ugly form. Um, it's usually not God. And, uh, and th- there's an open heaven, which means God has always supplied everything. He's, ge- he's released everything. So then it becomes, how do we use it? It's exciting, isn't it? I can see you're absolutely thrilled. All right, let's stand. Let's uh, ask God to impart to us a faith to be the church that he's called us to be. So out of what I've said today, what do you want? Just uh, We're not going to take long because we've got to keep moving here. Uh, what do you want? I've mentioned Jesus. I've mentioned encounter with Jesus. I've mentioned relationship stuff. I've mentioned a culture of honor, a culture that we live in. I've mentioned the Holy Spirit. And I've mentioned an open heaven. Take one of those letters in your own heart and say, Jesus, I want more of that. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know what he's talking about. But it sounds good, maybe. Father, we thank you that uh, you're able to do so much more than we could ask or imagine. And Like that little boy who was holding the gun and his father reminded him of where he'd come from. Uh, will you remind each of us who we are with you? Will you awaken in each of us a passion for you? And the way that you work with God is you ask him for what you lack. Because God always releases a response. So if you want to be 
more loving, then ask Jesus to help you receive his love. He never asks you to do something as an initiating. He always releases, if you follow me, I loved you first, therefore you will love. He always gives you what you need and then out of that comes a response. So Father, I just pray that you pour out your spirit on this body. You call up faith to believe. That Jesus, you become alive in us like we've never known before. A friend, a savior. That we have encounters with you. I pray for increased encounters with you in these next months. And I just speak to all fear of you and and just break fear down in the name of Jesus. Sometimes we're so broken by our past relationships, we're scared of risking. I just pray, Father, that you take away our fears. And as we walk with one another, maybe we can help each other not be afraid of the things that we struggle with or need to deal with. We pray for increased in relationships that bring life. We ask you to forgive us where we have judged. We ask you to forgive us where we have withdrawn and withheld because we've been hurt. We ask you to forgive us for anything that is getting in the way of your spirit working in us and through us. If God's showing you that right now, then just, he's not showing you to to condemn you. He's showing you to say, just bring it to my cross right now and ask me to forgive you because I already want to but I can only do with you what you will allow me to do. That's what free will is about. So Father, we just want to speak the cross over this this church right now. Forgive us where we have failed one another. Forgive us where we have failed you. Forgive us where we have taken and become like the Dead Sea. We've, We've taken and taken and taken, but we have been reluctant to give it away. And we just ask you to unblock us so that we can be a a river of living water. I ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit to empower us to be what we can't be in our own strength. Where we've not valued community, will you increase the value of community in our hearts that we need one another? And Lord, may we learn how to live under an open heaven, which means God provides everything he asks us to do. Teach us how to receive and to walk in your favor and your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you so much for what you have done. And as we share in just uh, going through the details of that in this annual general meeting, we just pray that we'd be in awe of your goodness and of your kindness and of your faithfulness. So we bless you, Jesus, in your name. We're going to sing a song as we transition to Uh, the the meeting, it's going to be the song Miracles, which is just a declaration of God being supernatural among us and we're going to sing that together and then we're going to go into our annual general meeting um, 